Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we want to take it through the conclusion of the chapter. But Paul speaks about an area that is precious to the church. If you've been a Christian long enough, you are called to that place of prayer. And so I see here in this last chapter, as Paul had dealt with so many issues concerning the Gnostics that came in and concerning the Judaizers, the false teachers, the philosophers at the time. And so Paul's encouragement, pray. And so we're going to see Paul's prayer request this morning. Now, as we concluded in Colossians chapter 3, Paul gave us a, a choice. You can choose carnality or you can choose Christ. And then he said, if you come to Christ, then put on righteousness. And if you've been a Christian long enough, putting on righteousness is not easy. In fact, you can't do it, I can't do it. But through Christ, we can do all things. I can put on Christ. I can put on righteousness. There is no righteousness in me or in you. And so I put on Christ. And so Paul last week says, you did not choose carnality, but you chose Christ. You put on his righteousness. And he encouraged us in this area of the husband-the-wife relationship. How the husband is to be uh, the prophet, priest, and king of the home. And how he is to look up to God for all his answers. And then in turn, uh, the wife and the husband are in submission to Christ and then submission one to another. And then Paul spoke about coming to that place with your children. The responsibility, because we have put on Christ, we have put on righteousness, the responsibility for husbands, dads, moms, to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And then the responsibility of the children to obey their parents in the Lord. And we came to the conclusion last week, and Paul's still going to deal with it here in verse 1. He spoke about the workplace. You see, you can be a Christian and put on righteousness at home and with your wife and your children, your husband and your children. But now the workplace. We come to the place of our jobs. The Bible says that we are to work as we work unto the Lord, not to our bosses and our owners. And so Paul said last week, Eight hours of work, eight hours of pay. We have a responsibility. And so look at verse 1 with me. And again, this should have still been concluded from last week's verses. We did not do the, you know, the separation of the chapters, but this is how they did this. And so he continues with what we left off last week, and he says, Masters, and basically these are the bosses, or these are the owners. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master that's in heaven. We all have a ruler over us. So here in verse 1, Paul concludes from last week's message. If we've put on righteousness, as he dealt with right living as a true Christian in the workplace. 
now towards the owners and the bosses or those who have rule over you. And so here in verse 1, Paul is speaking to the owners. He's speaking to the bosses. And some of you have been in that position where you've been a worker, but you've also been a boss. And so we understand that responsibility. But notice that he uses the word masters. And basically in the Greek, uh, those that are your Lord, those that are your sir, that's another translation. But here's basically what he's speaking about. Those that have control over you at the workplace, those that rule over you in the workplace. And so Paul's saying those that have authority, those that God has placed over you in authority, your bosses, your owners, give to your bondservants now. These owners, he turns it around. Take care of those that work under you. They're working there by choice. I mean, they have a choice to leave. You have a choice to leave your workplace. Nobody's holding you there. But yet while you're there, that the bosses, that the owners, that the company would treat you just, or the translation, that they would treat you right. And again, we saw that place. If you're going to work eight hours, then you should get eight hours worth, worth of pay that they should treat you fair, and the word is right, or equal, excuse me. What's fair is fair, we hear. Why? Because you know that you also have a master, a supreme authority over you. Now, this master becomes Christ. And so a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people don't like that. I don't believe in God. Well, he's still rule over you. And so the boss says, this morning, if you're a boss, take heed. Treat your people right. And at the same time, if you're a worker, then do your job, especially if you're a Christian. Imagine you're witnessing to your boss, you're telling him about Jesus, and yet your work is lacking. Why should he listen to you? Where's the testimony? And so I've been in both camps, and I tell you what, it works. You treat your people, and they're going to do the work. You mistreat your people, and they're going to slack. And so Paul brings it into this place, the responsibility. And so verse 2 now, we begin our study for this morning. Paul's prayer request. And in the first few verses, he actually speaks about prayer. But we're going to see through the chapter that prayer is included in each verse. He begins in verse 2. He says, continue earnestly in prayer. He's talking to the church at Colossae. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And so this exhortation of love to the church at Colossae. But what about to our church this morning here at Calvary Chapel of Las Cruces? Be vigilant in your prayer. And also be vigilant in that area of thanksgiving. Now a lot of times when we come to the place of prayer, if you're a new Christian... Well, how do I pray? Do I say the Our Father? Uh, do I write down my prayers? Do I, I take prayers from the Bible. And these are all good initiatives. But the Our Father were, was an instruction how to pray. And so God was teaching uh, his disciples how uh, to pray. But prayer is conversation between you and God. Husbands, I hope you converse with your wife. And wife, I hope you converse with your husband. Conversation. The best way I can explain prayer is, you know, pull up a chair. Sit down. Lord, let's you and I talk. Lord, let me tell you what's on my mind. 
And basically, that's prayer. And Paul speaks about prayer here of thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise you. I mean, if you've been a Christian long enough, look at all the things that we need to pray for. Now, at this time, the church at Colossae was under the subjection to Rome. The early church was under the submission of Rome. Rome was harsh on the people. In fact, six million Christians in the early church died in the hands of the Caesars. And so can you imagine? But this morning, what about us, 21st century? I mean, a, a day doesn't go by, a week doesn't go by. We see everything in the newspaper. Man, there is so much to pray for. Don't ever tell me there's nothing to pray for. Because there's plenty to pray for. Husband, you should be praying for your wife. Wife, you should be praying for your husband. Husband and wife, you should be praying for your children. I thank the Lord that our four daughters are growing up now and they've moved down and such, but we still pray for them. Now we have, you know, two of them that are married and they've given us three grandchildren. We pray for them. And I'll tell you what, our, the twins are, are 10 years old. In five years, they're going to be, you know, teenagers, right in the midst of it. And some of you are raising your little ones. They'll be teenagers before you know it. Start praying now. And let me tell you how to pray. Lord, bring them a godly husband. Lord, bring them a godly wife. Lord, the grandchildren, raise them in the Lord. There is so much uh, to pray for. So can you imagine what Paul prayed for? And he's encouraging uh, the church at Colossae. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant in your prayer. Being vigilant in your thanksgiving. Now think about it. Paul's in prison. He's two years in a Roman house arrest. But in that two-year span, he wrote four prison epistles, but he was thankful. Lord, thank you for the church at Ephesus. Thank you for the church at Colossae. Thank you for the, the church at Philippi. Thank you, Lord, for Philemon. He's going to write the last letter from prison to Philemon. Thank you. We, we spoke about the workplace. We spoke about your bosses. Are you thankful for the job that God has given you? Are you thankful? Hey, you heard the last couple of weeks, all the tainted meat, and they had to bury it. Are you thankful when you pray over your food? You better be praying for your food, or you're going to get some of that mad cow disease food. Lord, bless this stuff. We have to pray. People have asked me, do you worry about, you know, what's going on when you hear about the meats, you hear about this? I says, no, not really, because we pray. We pray. You have to pray. Lord, bless this food. I don't know what they're doing in the back there. I ordered this cheeseburger. It looks like a cheeseburger. You better be praying, church. And so Paul took that position of praying. And one of the things I catch myself, Lord, protect my children. They're not all here in Las Cruces anymore. Lord, protect our children. Lord, protect our grandchildren. There's so much to pray for. And he continues this thought. Look at verse 3 now. Meanwhile, and he's still applying it to prayer. He says, meanwhile, praying also for us. Paul's in house arrest. 
He had a group that was with him, those that ministered with him there in Rome. He says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open uh, to us a door for the word to speak the mysteries of Christ, for which I am also in chains. He reminds them, you guys know that I'm in prison here. Now, what's interesting, as we've been studying the book of Colossians, Paul never went to Colossae. The Colossians had never met Paul. But Paul got to know about them. A brother by the name of Epaphras had come uh, to Paul and gave Paul the needs that were going on at, at Colossae. And so Paul pins this letter so beautifully. And now he's concluding the letter. He's encouraging them. And then he says, listen, pray for us. Pray that I can speak of the oracles of God. Pray that I have the freedom to speak of the mysteries of God. Now, a mystery in Scripture is a previously hidden truth, now divinely revealed to you by the power of God's Holy Spirit. As God teaches us, that's why you come to church on Sundays. That's why you come to church on Wednesdays, so that we can learn of God. They're no longer secrets. There's nothing hidden. Everything's out in the plain, in the open. We have 66 books here, right in front of us. But imagine here the early church, Paul is saying, pray for us. Pray that we can bring forth the word of God with power. Now, I wanted to share this with you. If you're taking notes, in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, uh, Paul is uh, there in prison in house arrest. And so Luke, the physician, writes, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, and he received all who came to him. I like that. He had access to minister while he's there in house arrest. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. The word is with all assurance, no one forbidding him. That's important. As Paul prayed himself and those that were with Paul prayed and other in the churches that were praying, Lord, give Paul the boldness. Lord, give Paul the freedom. They did not forbid him. People would come. Can we see Paul? Yes. People would come. Can we pray with Paul? Yes. He was in house arrest. He couldn't leave. But yet he had a ministry that was, you know, basically thriving there. And that's my prayer this morning. For Calvary Chapel here in Las Cruces, for you. This is my prayer request. Pray for us. Pray for Pastor Jeff. Pray for Pastor Jay. Pray for me. Pray for the leadership. Pray that we would continue to bring forth the word of truth. That we would never water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's too much of that going on in the church today. And so Paul's prayer. Now let's go into verse 4. Now I believe that Paul is speaking about a prayer request at the conclusion of chapter 4 to the Colossians. Now, from verses 4 through the conclusion to verse 18, there's no more mention of prayer, but you can see it. I'm going to insert it for you because I believe it was a total prayer request for Paul. And so he begins here in verse 4, and he's speaking about, meanwhile, in verse 3, praying for us, and then he says that I may make it manifested as I ought to speak. So let's make it a prayer request. And so in verse 4, Paul says, pray that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Pray that I, Paul, 
Make the word of God manifested to the people. The word to manifest God's word. That God's word would be unveiled. That God's word would be revealed. That God's word would be made known. What I'm about to speak. And Paul had the opportunity. When you come to the conclusion of the book of Romans. Paul in that time of house arrest. He was always chained, shackled to a Roman guard. They would trade guards and rightfully so. And a lot of guards were also uh, taken away from guarding Paul and sent to another position because Paul was winning many of those to Christ. And so pray that I can continue to speak to these guys. That I can continue to speak and unveil God's plan, God's word, God's truth. And church, that's been my prayer for the last 26 years. Lord, that I may preach, that I may teach. Lord, that I might bring forth your oracles. That I might bring forth the word of truth. Not watered down, but that it would be effective. That it would touch the hearts of those that come and to hear. Because God's word. Isaiah says it will not come back void. And God's word is, is there's no mistakes. You always hear that. Well, you know, the Bible has a lot of mistakes. Here's your first response to that. Here, show me one. They cannot come up with one. Now, grant you, there's type errors. There's translations that are in error. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, it's the word of God. Okay, he continues his prayer request. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. So let's make it a prayer request. I pray that you would walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, the non-believers. Redeeming the time. What is Paul saying here? When you pray, he says, pray as you walk in the wisdom of God. Now, the word walk is always indication of your manner of life as a believer. Walk and pray as you walk in the manner of life in godly wisdom towards those, the non-believers, those that are outside of the cross. Pray we redeem the time, that we buy back lost time. It's amazing, after my salvation over 29 years ago, how now I can identify, and how then I could identify. You know, I didn't realize that people were going to hell. Some of you never realized that. Your own family, friends, and loved ones, your own co-workers. But now you come to saving grace. And man, let's buy back the time that was lost, the time that we were in the world and we weren't sharing with others. I got saved in my early 30s. And I was frustrated. I said, Lord, why didn't you save me as a young teen? I could have been effective in high school. Lord, why didn't you save me as a young man when I first got married and such? My wife and I could have been busy in the gospel of Jesus Christ then. Why did you wait till I was in my 30s, Lord? I don't understand that. And I always get this response, it wasn't my fault. Because God was there knocking. But we're so hard-headed, we don't want to hear. But now redeem the time. Man, I went back to my workplace and I saw those people that I worked with because I used to sin right there with them. 
I went back to my families. I saw what they were in. I saw my brother was into drugs and alcohol just like we were. And I said, Lord, give me wisdom. And so this is Paul's prayer request. It is so beautiful now. Look at verse 6. He continues this. And then Paul says, let your speech always be with grace. And so it's a prayer request. Pray that your speech would always be with grace. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. Pray also, not only that your speech would be with grace, but your speech would also be seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I look back to the early portions of my ministry. Boy, I was ready to tell people, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. And those of you in the middle, you're going to hell. See, I don't want to leave anybody out. And you don't realize, listen, you don't realize how much grace God has given you. Oh, unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But God has given us grace. Wonderful grace. Marvelous grace. Grace upon grace. How much grace do you need? How much grace do you ask for? Lord, shower me with your grace. And so notice that he says, let your speech, this is Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, that it would be with grace. And notice, seasoned. The word seasoned, that it would be prepared, that it would be stimulated with salt. Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth. We're a light upon that hill. Man, that whatever I say, whatever you say, whatever I do, whatever you do, that it would be with grace, that it would be with salt, that it would be seasoned. Be careful when, you know, we see somebody that's a sinner, we know they're a sinner, and then you just damn them. Man, reach out with grace. Because God reached out to you with grace. So Paul understood that. Beautiful here. Now, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, salt was, you know, important. Salt is still important today. But salt was used for flavoring then. It was used, it's still used for flavoring today. But salt was used as preserving meat. Salt was used for the offerings. Salt was used in the sacrifices. Salt was used, and we're going to read a scripture, for making pathways. But here's another good one. Salt was used as hospitality. You come to the house, they would give you salt with your meal. It was considered hospitality. Salt was also used for medicinal purposes. It was used for healing. Salt was used for financial gain. There was a time in the Old Testament that salt was just as valuable as money. And so it's hard for us to understand. But pray that your words, listen, that your actions would be tasteful in everything we say and do, that it would glorify God. Now you have to turn with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And so here in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus encourages this position that we're salt and that we're lights upon a hill. You've come to saving grace. And so a question was asked years ago, if you're the salt of the earth, salt makes people thirsty, when is the last time that our life 
made somebody thirsty for God. When's the last time the light of Christ was so effective in my life that it shined in darkness there at work or at home or at school? And so listen to the words of Jesus here. You have a red-letter edition. Matthew 5, verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. They would take the salt that had already lost you know, its power in preserving the meats and such, and then they would just cast it. And the people would step through it and make pathways. I remember one old preacher said, and I heard him. He says, if we're the salt in the earth, is your salt still effective? Or have you been cast out into the pathway of the world and to be trampled on? That's a radical statement. Now notice he continues here in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. Man, that whatever you say, whatever you do, that it would be salted with grace, the grace of God. Wasn't the grace of God given to you? Wasn't the salt given to you? Wasn't that light? Jesus said he was the light of the world, but when he ascends into heaven, he responds back and he says, now you are the light of the world. Sheep are going to begat other sheep. Have they seen, tasted your salt? Have they seen your light? And so this was Paul's prayer. And so notice verse 7 now. And Paul comes to that place, and he begins the farewell greeting to Colossae. And he's going to be mentioning some of the brothers and such. But remember, we said this is a prayer request. And so Paul begins here in verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, he says, faithful minister, that was his testimony, and fellow servant in the Lord, he will tell you all the news about me. And so let's make it a prayer request. Pray for Tychicus. That's what Paul was saying to the church at Colossae. Pray for this beloved brother, this faithful minister, fellow servant, pray for him that he will tell you all the affairs that I'm going through here at Rome. And so Tychicus is best known as a faithful minister in the Lord. We pick that up here in Colossians, and then we also find it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. And he's also Tychicus there in Ephesians with Trophimus. They accompanied Paul on part of his uh, journey from Macedonia to Jerusalem. We find that in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. It's mentioned here in Colossians. And then also we find Tychicus mentioned in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. As having been with Paul at Rome while Paul was in house arrest. And I believe that Tychicus carried the letter, the epistle, Back to the Colossians. Now, Epaphras came from Colossae. He's going to mention him. And he came to uh, 
from Colossae to Rome, and he told Paul, what's going on? And remember, there were those that were the false teachers, the Gnostics, the Judaizers, the philosophers at the time. They were coming and undermining the teachings. And so Epaphras had warned. But now Paul wants to send back Tychicus. And he gives you the reason. He's going to continue. Look at verse 8. And I'm going to add the prayer. Pray because I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and to comfort your hearts. Tychicus was going to go and minister to the church at Colossae, but at the same time, you can minister to him. And so it was a two-way street. But Paul was more anxious to know the state of the Colossians. Because they had been seduced by uh, so many false teachers. In fact, back in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I know what you're going through because I'm in great conflict over this. It frustrated Paul that he was in prison. Frustrated Paul that he couldn't be there on hands. But yet, listen, church, he had the power of prayer. And for the 26 years that my wife and I and family have been here in Las Cruces, it's so hard because we have all our family back in Southern California. And so many times we get the phone calls. So many times we, we get the cries. And we just can't drop everything and go. It's very expensive. It's costly. It's time-consuming. And so we have to pick the times that we go back to Southern Cal. But we have the power of prayer. We have the power of prayer. Lord, we pray for that situation. Lord, we pray for that individual. Lord, we pray for their healing, whatever it might be. And so this is Paul. And then Paul reminds them of his own circumstances. Paul was in house arrest, and they were concerned. The church at Colossae was concerned about that. And yet Paul had a reason and a purpose. But Paul was also concerned for their trials. Wasn't easy for Paul to know that the Judaizers were attacking and undermining the teachings of Christ. The Gnostics had come in and denied the deity of Christ. The philosophers were coming in with their, you know, uh, seasoned speech of the world. And so Paul understood that. Now, not only did Tychicus go and Trophimus, but look at verse 9 with Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He says, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Now, Onesimus, in the Greek, he's, his name is useful or profitable. These are all servants of the Lord. We'll learn more about Onesimus when we study the book of Philemon. He's a runaway slave. And Paul says here, I will send Onesimus with Tychicus, and I like this. These are proved brothers. These are tested brothers in the Lord. Paul didn't just send anybody. He sent brothers that knew how to pray. He sent brothers that had faith. He sent brothers that were called of God. Back in Acts chapter 6, the early church was looking uh, for deacons in the church, servants, diaconos. Those that would wait on tables. Those that would take care of the body of Christ. And they were told by the disciples. Choose seven men among you. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with faith. Filled with wisdom. 
that we may appoint to this work. Men that have been proven, men that had been tested, men that people looked up and said, yeah, I see the call on that particular person. And so Paul was sending Onesimus. He was sending Tychicus. Trophimus was also uh, going there. These were seasoned veterans, if you may. And then he mentions another brother. Look at verse 10. And again, I'm going to include pray for. Pray for uh, Ar Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So this guy was in house arrest with Paul, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And remember, he was called John Mark in other portions of Scripture. About whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Aristarchus in the Greek, the best ruler. He was from Macedonia of Thessalonica. He was the one that was dragged into the theater there at Ephesus during the tumult. And with Gaius, back in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, they wanted to beat them. He was now at Rome with Paul in prison, and he is here spoken of Paul's fellow prisoner. And so these guys that ministered so well. But let me talk to you a little bit about John Mark. John Mark was Barnabas' cousin, basically. That's the translation. And Barnabas had brought him along, but when he first met up with Paul, back in Acts chapter 12, um, he was a youngster. Many believe he was a young teen. But anyway, ministry is not easy. And Paul was a traveling evangelist, church planter. I mean, Paul did all this. Well, they got to the point where John Mark started complaining. John Mark wanted to go back home. <laughs> and then Paul got mad. Paul says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, let the crybaby go home. That's what he said. Now, Mark this down. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36 and 41, there was such a great argument between Paul and Barnabas because of John Mark. Because Barnabas still wanted to bring him now. This is another time later. And Paul says, no way. I'm not going to let that crybaby back in the ministry. You take him. Something interesting happened there. Paul and Barnabas were so staunch, and, and there was a division, actually. They broke up. But what's interesting is the Holy Spirit allows it, church. Paul went one way. It's believed that Silas went with him. And then Barnabas with John Mark went another way. So in a sense, there was two missionary journeys going on at this time. And so all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called. So pray for these brothers. Look at verse 11. And so we see another servant of the Lord. And so I'm going to include the prayer request. Pray also for, uh, for Jesus who is called justice. These are my, uh, my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. I like that. They have proved to be uh, a great comfort to me. These were Jews that had come to saving grace. Now, if you know anything about the ministry of Paul, he loved to go into a city, and the first thing that Paul would do is make a beeline to a synagogue. He loved preaching to his own people, but they often rejected Paul. And so Paul didn't take it as an offense. He would go to the Gentiles. And Paul's basically, Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. 
And so for Paul to mention uh, Jesus, who is called Justice, this, these fellow workers of the circumcision, these were Jews that were working with Paul now. And so Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. It was a very popular name in the time of the New Testament. But it's a name that's derived from, in the Old Testament, Joshua or Yehoshua, the Lord is salvation. And I want to mention again, these are all fellow workers. They're co-laborers in Christ. These were Jewish brothers coming to Christ. They were of the circumcision. It was important for Paul to see some of his own come to know Christ. I love when I see a brother that and a sister that come from Catholicism. And I'm not asking them to leave Catholicism, but that they would come to saving grace. That they would come to saving grace. And many of you have come that route. Because so many times they're told that their water baptism is their salvation. But you need to come to Christ. You need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're told in John Chapter 3, that beautiful conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. But look at justice here. Uh, the word justice means he was a just man. He was a righteous man. And so these are the types that were ministering with Paul. Ministering to him and also willing to minister to others. And so no wonder here Paul is bringing such a beautiful prayer request. Pray for these brothers. Now here in verse 12, he goes to the one that came to him, Epaphras. So I'm going to include the word prayer again. Pray for Epaphras. And here in verse 12, who is one of you, a bondservant, a doulos, a bondservant by choice, a bondservant of Christ. He greets you. He says, always laboring fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You remember Epaphras' name in the Greek? It's charming. He comes from your own city at Colossae. He's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sends you his greetings. He prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong, complete, fully confident assurance of the will of God. Of the will of God. If you go up to one of the pastors that, and you ask them, what do you want me to pray for you? Pray that God's will is done in our church. Pray that God's will is done in my life. Pray that God's will is done in the lives of the people. You see, God's will is coming to that place of obedience. God's will is coming to that place of desiring what God wants, not what Bob wants. The word will here in the Greek is his desires, his pleasures. And that I obey God. That I obey his very word. That's important. And so there's times people leave here, wow, Pastor Bob was angry. No, I'm not. Well, Pastor Bob was really staunch in that. Well, this is what the word of God has to say. I will never apologize for God's word. You see, church, there's too many pastors out there, too many churches that are watering down the word of God. Man, we need the full counsel of God. That's what Paul told the church at Ephesus. Back in Acts chapter 20, he meets with the Ephesian elders. And he says, for three years, 
I gave you the full counsel of God. Now do what God has told you to do. Not what Paul has to say. And so Epaphras, beautiful brother in the Lord, he came to Paul. Paul never been to Colossae. Comes to Paul and says, listen, this is what's going on. Uh, the Judaizers are there. The Gnostics are there. The philosophers are there. And so Paul addresses that. Look at verse 13. And he's still concerning Epaphras. Pray because I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. Pray for, pray for Epaphras because I see the zeal that he has for you. I see the concerns that he has for you, uh, the church at Colossae. And then he says also for the church at Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. And so Paul's assurance that Epaphras, listen, he had agonized for the church at Colossae, for the Christians at Laodicea, for the Christians at Hierapolis. The word great zeal, if you have an NIV, it's the best translation. Paul says, he wrestles for you in prayer. I like that. The word zeal can also be translated here, Paul's love. Or in this case, Epaphras' love for the church at Colossae. But imagine that Epaphras wrestled with the Lord in prayer. I need to ask this question. When's the last time we wrestled with the Lord in prayer for the situation? Whatever it might be. When's the last time we've, we wrestled with God? Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you answer my prayer. How can you pray that way, Pastor Bob? Because of Genesis chapter 32. Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, hey, you need to let me go. It's coming daybreak. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord touched the hollow of his thigh. And Jacob, from that point on, he kind of walked with a limp. And every time he walked, he was reminded, that happened the day I wrestled with God. That happened the day I wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And so here's Epaphras. He wrestled with the Lord for Colossae. Remember Jesus when he sees Jerusalem and he knows what they have done. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets and killed them. Oh, how I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her, her chicks. But no, you killed the prophets that I sent to you. And so Epaphras' heart for the church at Colossae. Now, we're not through here. Look at verse 14, a gentleman that we should all know. And so again, I'm going to include the word prayer. Pray for Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. They greet you. Luke, the writer of the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He is called Dr. Luke, the physician. Luke took care of Paul in his infirmities, I believe. Tradition says that Luke was also an evangelist. Now, it's interesting it, there's from time to time, in some of the bigger Calvaries, you have doctors that are saved, born again of the Holy Spirit, and they get together with a team of nurses and such, and maybe two or three doctors, they'll go out on short mission tr trips. 
and they're able to go to South America, and they'll spend a week there or two weeks. And imagine now giving their services to these people that are so poor. And they're not there to preach the gospel, but they're there to minister to the people. But in the process, the people will ask, why are you here? Why do you come all this way? You pay your own way. The nurses pay. You bring your supplies. It's because Jesus loves you and we love you. And the door's wide open, church. This was Luke. Luke went out and he ministered. But look at Demas here. I want you to take down this verse. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it tells us that Demas had forsaken me, Paul writes, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. But he's back serving now. I love, remember we said grace, the grace of God? I believe Paul didn't give up on Demas, but he prayed for him. How long did it take? We don't know, but he's back in fellowship. If you come across somebody you know, you love, family member, and they're backslidden, they're not coming to church no more, don't get on their case, but pray for them, encourage them, give them a CD, tell them you're praying for them, tell them Pastor Bob's asking about you, come on back to church. You see, what happens is they're embarrassed to come back. Oh, the enemy uses that. Oh, they're going to say, oh, they're back this morning. Everybody look at them. We're not going to do that. But the enemy will use every ploy. And so Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, they greet you. I think that brought joy to Paul's heart. Pray for them. Pray for Luke, the doors would open more for him. Pray for Demas that he stays strong. And I think many times when there's backslidden Christians and they come back to that place of serving God, they come back stronger. Praise God for that. Verse 5, or 15, excuse me. He continues. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nympus and the church that is in his home. Now, the Laodiceans was an interesting church. I want you to take down this verse. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, Jesus writes the seven churches or the seven letters to the seven churches. And this particular church, the church at Laodicea, was the church in the last days in apostasia. In the last days, they would backslide. And so here's Paul. Greet the church at Laodicea. Pray for them. Because this is a prayer request, remember? Pray for Nymphos there. They're having house church at his home. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Of the early church. How they gathered together and how they fellowship one to another. Now, one thing I forgot to mention in verse 14, and I don't want you to miss this, concerning Luke. Luke's testimony, he was an eyewitness of Christ. You can study that in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. There were others there with him. And then Paul brings it to that place again. Greet the brethren at Laodicea and this brother Nemphis that had church, house church. Greet them. Pray for them. Pray for them. 
And so Paul's coming to the conclusion now. In verse 16, and again, we're keeping it in that place of a prayer request. I pray that now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodicea, and that you likewise read the epistle from the Laodiceans. Now, we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans in our scripture, in our 66 books, in the New Testament. But there were many letters. If you do a background on church history, there are many letters that were written. There are a lot of gospels that were written. We have four that were canonized. And we have these epistles that were canonized. And so you say, well, what about the ones that were not? Well, we go by what God has given us. And again, be careful. You're looking for the lost books, the lost letters, the lost gospels. Well, we should read those too, shouldn't we? What we're looking is for loopholes. We're looking for an epistle that would say, hey, it's okay to fornicate. We're looking for an epistle that would say, it's okay to get drunk every night. We should be content with the scriptures that we do have. But I like what Paul says here. Pray now that these letters that have gone out there, that they would minister to so many I mean, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that Paul wrote 13 epistles. I believe he wrote 14. The 14th one would have been the epistle to the Hebrews, but there are those that argue the point. We know that Peter, James, and Jude, uh, they wrote epistles. We know that John not only wrote the Gospel, but he wrote also three epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. Man, imagine when they would get hold of the, the scriptures. You see, they didn't have a complete Bible as we have. We have so much today. I was kind of looking at the text, and I was rem reminded years back, there was a, a lot of ministry that was going from Calvary Chapel uh, to the Philippines. And a lot of my pastor friends, they had gone out there for a two-week stay. In fact, I remember when Pastor Charlie had gone. And what they would do is uh, gather a team to go and to minister to uh, the pastors that were in the Philippines. And they would go to the rural areas, I mean, uh, out there in the bush country. And, and they would set up, you know, five days of meetings. And, and word of mouth, they would tell all the pastors and they would come. And the pastors were blown away from Calvary Chapel because these guys were coming poor, dirt poor, barefooted, barely uh, clothes hanging on to them. No Bibles, no pencils, no notepads. And so they went prepared with all that. And for some of these pastors, listen to this. Some of them barely had, you know, an NIV, hardback, paperback, New Testament. That's it. And when they gathered together, they would take Matthew and tear it out, the whole gospel of Matthew. And then they would give it to one pastor, Luke, John, Mark. And then the epistles. And then when they gather back together, they would exchange. Can you imagine when these guys were coming, walking, hungry, and then they were given a Bible, given pen and paper, notebooks, and they were able to study the Word of God. Ah, oh, church, we're so blessed. And sometimes we don't even see it. He goes on into verse 17, 
And remember, it's still his prayer request. Pray this for, uh, to Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Now, Archippus in the Greek means master horseman. Uh, so he was probably one that, uh, you know, took care of horses, trained them, ruled them. I don't know. But he was a Christian minister at Colossae, whom Paul calls our fellow soldier in Philemon, verse 2. Pray for him. And church, again, these are Paul's prayer requests, but not of everybody, but as much as Paul could get in there. Pray for them. Pray for these guys that have been with me here in house arrest. Pray for these Roman soldiers that are coming to hear the word of God unknowingly. Again, remember, pray that my speech is seasoned. Pray that your speech is seasoned with grace and with salt. And then Paul concludes the letter in verse 18. I pray, we're including the word prayer. I pray this salutation by my own hand. Paul pinned it. Paul, he ends it. And then he gives this quick reference again. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. Amen. So be it. Remember that I am in prison. Don't forget me. Pray for me. Encourage me in prayer. You see, ministry is not easy. You've heard the old adage, the preacher wants to quit every Monday. And, and it does happen. Have I thought of it in times past? Sure. I'm not exempt. And yet, we hear, we hear the voice of God. We hear the call of God. And so, here Paul says in verse 18, I pray you never forget my chains. I pray you never forget my imprisonment here in Rome. And again, we know that Paul spent some time. But the opportunity that Paul had to write the letters to the Ephesians to the Philippians, to the Colossians. And next week, we're going to go out of order because I want to keep the prison epistles together. We're going to look, begin the book of Philemon. That was Paul's last prison epistle. But Paul's prayer request here at the conclusion of Colossians. Remember, we began with the, the whole purpose of Colossians. The book was the preeminence of Christ. He, uh, show his deity. They were denying his deity, these Gnostics. Prayer. Church, I can't say any more than this. Pray. Pray for your husband. Pray for your wife. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your moms and dads if they're not saved. Pray for your brothers and sisters if they're not saved. Pray for our church. Pray for our leadership. Pray. Pray. Because we're going to see answers. There's a cloud that's over this community. Pray that God would break through that cloud, that many would come to saving grace. We're living in the last days. Prayer, prayer. Let's stand, we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share your word. Your word that's seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace, as Paul mentioned to the church at Colossae. Lord, your word, as Isaiah said, that will not come back void. Lord, I want to give that opportunity right now 
with every head bowed, every eye closed, please no looking around. I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you were invited. Maybe you just came by curiosity. It's Sunday. I got to go to church. Maybe you've been here times past, but you've never made a commitment to Christ. We're not here to embarrass anybody. But if you need Jesus in your heart, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, I want you to indicate by raising your hand that you'd like to receive Christ this morning. And right there where you're at, I will say a simple prayer for you. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ freely, please raise your hand before we close. Anybody? Praise the Lord. I see your hand way back in the cry room. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? Raise your hand. Don't let the enemy rip you off, but come to Christ freely. Praise the Lord, and let's pray. Father, I thank you for that hand of that gentleman that's in the cry room there with his baby and his new wife. Lord, bring him to saving grace. Lord, you know his sins. Lord, as he confesses his sins to you, you're faithful, you're just to forgive him, Lord. Cleanse him, wash him, empty him of himself, Lord, even now. Bring him to that place of saving grace. Season his walk with salt and grace now. Season his speech with salt and grace now. Lord, baptize him in the power of your Holy Spirit even now. That he would never be the same from this point on. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray also. That if we've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's an opportunity. All we have to do is ask, Lord, baptize us in the Holy Spirit. So, Father, save this gentleman that's there in the cry room. Save him, Lord. Set him free. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Father, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen. The worship